Hello to my true crime people. This is an update from Mommy's Crime Time on the Face Sweatlet case. We are going to go over today, which is February 18th, press conference that was held today at 3 p.m. And during this press conference, they went over the autopsy results of Faye Swetlick, as well as gave us some details that we did not have before. Today, a lot of people have been waiting patiently, some impatiently for these details to come out. There's been so much speculation around this case while we waited for these results. There was people saying, you know, it couldn't have been Cody Scott Taylor. There's no way he was set up. People have said, obviously, it was his roommate. He did it, and he killed Cody in an attempt to hide his crime, although we had not even received any confirmation that he did have a roommate. So there has been a lot going on with this case. It has been all over the news. This small town in South Carolina, Casey, has exploded into national news, and the entire nation's eyes have been on them. I personally feel they did handle the case very well. I feel that they did a very thorough job. I do not feel like they missed it. I feel like they did the best they could with what they had and that they worked very, very diligently on this case. But the press conference, as I said, did give us some details that we did not have before today. And hopefully these details will give closure to the case. It will end a lot of speculation and people will start to move on from all of the surrounding theories that just don't have any weight. Now, I will admit that this, like the circumstances surrounding this case, they are kind of different. They are weird. You could look at it from a different perspective. You could say, you know, it could have been someone else. They could have framed this person. But what's important in this case is DNA. And you're going to find out in this episode exactly what DNA I'm talking about and that people should really just stop speculating. Again, there's been a lot of you know, trash talk about the mom of Faye Swetlick. I will admit that I was one of the ones who was saying, you know what, something's not right here. She's not been on the news. She's not shown her face. This family has been out of the spotlight. Why are they not pleading for their child's return? I did find that odd. I did wonder if the family has something to do with it. I will not say I didn't think that because I'm not going to retract a statement I said earlier about it. But in this case, it appears that is not the case. So I do apologize, you know, for making those or having those thoughts or speculating about that. But I did find it strange that we didn't hear from the family because typically in a missing child, you do see the family pleading for the child's return. But aside from that, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of start laying out everything. If you're not familiar, I'm going to do a quick overview just so you know what I'm talking about. Faye Swetlick was a six-year-old little girl who got off of her bus Monday, February 10th around 2.50 p.m. The surveillance showed her getting off the bus. Her mom walked her back to their apartment. It was like a duplex in the Churchill Heights subdivision. Mom gave her a snack. She then went outside to play, which was obviously something she did all the time. Neighbors commented they had seen her outside a lot. This neighborhood had a lot of children, a lot of children that played outside. So this was not unusual before people start bashing mom about, oh, she shouldn't let her play outside. It's something that we all do. So I'm not even going to go there. But the mom noticed about 345 that her daughter was not in the front yard so she started looking for her and they say she looked for her for about an hour and then she called 911 they came and the search began ultimately on february 13th which was that thursday Faye's body was located after going through trash they found something in the trash that they said led them to an address 
This address had a wooded area behind it. They went in that wooded area, found Faye's body. There had been grid searches there. I mean, it had been thoroughly searched, so there's no way that her body had been there before this day. And at that, about that same time, they received a report of a deceased male at the address that the trash was traced back to. And they didn't give us any further details other than that. Later that afternoon on the 13th, they did tell us his name was Cody Scott Taylor, but they did not release any more information about the case, about him, about involvement. All they told us was that him and Faye Sweatlick, they were connected. Those murders were, or deaths were connected. So we had no idea. We were waiting for these autopsy results. They were originally gonna be released on Saturday the 15th, but they said out of respect for Faye's family, they wanted to wait until today, Tuesday, to release this information. So I'm gonna kind of outline what was said. The press conference was at 3 p.m. and they started out with Margaret Fisher, who was the coroner. She came on and the first thing she did was, you know, thank the community, thank the police department and express her thoughts and prayers for the family of Faye Swetlick. Then she said that at this press conference, she would only be speaking about Faye. She would not talk about the deceased male. During this entire press conference, Cody Scott Taylor's name was not released or said at any point. They only refer to him as the deceased male. I do feel like this was tasteful. It's like they did not want to give him any notoriety. They didn't want to mention him. They made this press conference pretty much solely about Faye Swetlick, which I do feel was tasteful. She said they would not discuss the body condition out of respect for the family. But they said that the autopsy of Cody Scott Taylor would be released to the media after this press conference. And I do have those results as well. She went on to say that the death did not occur where Faye was found and that her body had only been there for a very, very short period of time. As I said, they had done grid searches. Her body had not been there. It had just been moved there sometime, you know, in the, the hours before her body was discovered. Her time of death was pinpointed to within a few hours after her abduction. So she was killed on Monday, February 10th. There was a lot of people that wondered had he kept her body and then, you know, killed her and dumped her or whatever, where had she been? But that's not the case. She was murdered hours after she was abducted. The cause of death was asphyxiation, but she said she would not release any other information. So we don't know any anything else in regards to Faye's autopsy. She won't say, you know, was there a sexual assault or the condition of the body. She will not elaborate on that. She said it was an ongoing investigation and they were not going to talk about anything else about Faye. At that point, Officer Snellgrove, who it was the Casey, basically chief of police there, the Department of Public Safety, but it's basically, he said, the chief of police. He came on, and I'm gonna tell you exactly what he said in just a moment. Welcome back, y'all. So during this press conference, Officer Snellgrove, he began his statement by thanking the community especially the Churchill Heights community, the law enforcement that had come in and helped every resident, all of the surrounding police departments that had helped, the FBI, SLED, everyone that had done everything they could in this case to help, you know, move it along and ultimately find Faye. He told us about, he like re-elaborated on the fact that Faye went missing and her mom had made the call about 5 p.m. that she was unable to find her and by 5.03 p.m. on February 10th, the officer was already on the scene. And by 6 p.m., they realized they could not locate Faye, so they called in SLED and the FBI. 
By 7 p.m., they had over 90 personnel, including FBI and SLED on the scene. They decided that they needed to go through every culvert, every pool, every shed, anywhere that Faye could be, anywhere she could be hiding, anywhere she could be falling hurt, because you do remember they thought that this was not an abduction, that her body or that she had just, you know, gone somewhere into the neighborhood, gotten lost or gotten hurt. So they thoroughly searched the community and they found nothing. Tuesday morning, they got the hotline set up the were you calling it the tip line they set up roadblocks at the neighborhood you know if you weren't a resident you could not come in or out they did search vehicles and they began to use a questionnaire from the fbi and going door to door to the residents and there were a lot of homes it was about 280 plus homes in this neighborhood of churchill heights that they went door to door to to speak to he said some homes were gone to a couple times maybe the person was at home or maybe they wanted to go back and ask them something else they had asked for any kind of surveillance any ring video cameras anything they could get that possibly would show Faye on it and they started doing the grid searches again they did that multiple times I mean, they had tons of people out there. I mean, they had, I think he said, close to 300 officers out there searching for Faye. So they were very, very thorough. Now, on Wednesday, they did begin that morning doing the grid searches again. They had the canines out there. And it's important to tell you that on this Wednesday afternoon, the 12th of February, they made contact with Cody Scott Taylor. They spoke to him at his residence on Piccadilly Square. They did go inside. He consented to them to come inside to look around. They described him as being very compliant. He did not object to anything, and he, they found nothing in his home that would make them think that he was in any way tied to the disappearance of Faye Swetlick. So they did all they could. I mean, it's not like you could say, well, they, did, they should have checked or whatever. I mean, they, they did all they could do. Now, Thursday, we know that they had the early morning press conference, and they told us that their goal for that day was to not expand the search, but to start searching landfills, following the trash trucks around the neighborhood, and searching trash and dumpsters inside because it was trash day. They wanted to make sure they intercepted any trash before it left the neighborhood. Within hours of that, shortly before 2 p.m., the press conference came on where they told us they did find Faye's body and that there was an item found in the trash that led them to Faye. They could not tell us what this item was. They did tell us now today that at 10 a.m. they found her boot, her polka dot rain boot, in a trash bag along with a soup ladle that was covered in fresh dirt. They were able to trace this trash back to the Piccadilly Square and Officer Snellgrove himself started checking behind the house in the wooded area between that residence and the Napa Auto Parts. He said it was a hunch that he thought maybe she was there and he found Faye's body shortly before 10 a.m. And right after he found her body, I mean within minutes, they were told there was another body. He said that they were notified of a man bleeding on his patio in the back of his home. When they got there, the male was deceased. He said that they were diligent enough to collect DNA from that man, his residence, and the body of Faye Swetlick and that at this point the dna evidence does connect faye swetlick to cody scott taylor he was the person who abducted and killed faye scott or faye, faye swetlick that they believe that he was a sole perpetrator and that he must have moved her body from his residence into this wooded area under the cover of darkness after he spoke with law enforcement on wednesday night and before he was found deceased on that Thursday. Now, there were reports that he was actually watching them search behind the house. If he was on his back patio, that would make sense. 
So it's almost like he, um, he knew he was, I hate, screwed, you know? They said that the tip line produced over 283 leads and that they did follow up on every lead that came in. At that point, he decided that he would take questions, only a few questions from the media. And they started asking questions along the lines of, did they have any indication of where Faye Sweatlick's body had been kept from Monday to Thursday when she was located? And he told them no. I mean, they had went into the home. I have no idea they were searching vehicles. He couldn't have got her body in or out. They didn't see her body inside. Other neighbors have said they checked their freezers, you know, anywhere that a body could be hidden. So I'm not sure how thoroughly they searched Cody, Scott's Cody Scott Taylor's residence. He said that he could not comment on that because he was not the person who spoke to him directly, but that there was no inclination there that he had her. He did confirm that, she, that Cody Scott Taylor did have a roommate, but that the roommate was not a suspect. The roommate, he said, had been out of town a lot during that week or not at home, so he was not a suspect at all, and he had been cleared, according to Snellgrove. He says that they did have some video surveillance from the neighborhood that showed, quote, suspicious behavior from Cody Scott Taylor during this investigation, but he could not elaborate on what that video showed. But again, he did reiterate that the DNA leaked his home, Faye, and him all to the same they were all one and the same. They were all linked. So that means that she was in his home and his DNA was found on her. Now, they did not say if there was a sexual assault, but you, we all kind of know that as respect for the family, they probably did not want to say that. If that were the case, I don't want to say it was. I don't want to be incorrect. I'm just going to say that if, if that was the case, that would be a source of the DNA that they did find on Faye that could link him to her. And ultimately, you know, he strangled her. But they, they can't, they would not say it. They, they won't say if she was sexually assaulted. But we do know that predators such as this, they do start out typically. I've done a lot of research on profiling and how these, you know, from a serial killer, a serial rapist, or however you want to look at it, how they start out. And typically they start out with the fascination over it. Then they graduate to being a peeping Tom, where they start going around the neighborhood and looking at these people or looking in windows. A lot of times they, they get caught being a peeping Tom. The next phase of that would be where they start to fantasize about not just peeping, but they fantasize about actually getting a girl, abducting, or, you know, the victim that they have in mind. And sometimes they will even attempt this abduction several times or with several different people before they succeed. It's a, it's a, like, a sequence of events that lead up and to, up to this. And this is a thrill for them. They typically keep an item as a trophy. We look at Ted Bundy. We know he kept bones and such in this one location that he returned to several times. I don't know. Is that why we only found one of her boots? Did he think that they wouldn't get the trash? Once they got the trash, did he know he was caught? And that's what made him kind of lose it. Because after this press conference, they did release to the media Cody Scott Taylor's cause of death. And his cause of death was a wound to his neck and laceration to the neck and they are saying it was self-inflicted and his manner of death was suicide not homicide so it it would appear that he realized he was caught and he chose to end his life there's been a lot of people saying well you wouldn't kill yourself by slitting your throat and i mean i do find that to be quite extreme but studies have shown that males do typically kill themselves in a more gruesome manner and typically someone who has a self-hatred or self-loathing will kill themselves in a manner such as this. So maybe he felt guilt. There's also the issue of 
opportunity? Did he have another way to kill himself? He didn't have time to, you know, overdose because he knew that it was imminent. They were there. There was no getting out of it. Maybe he didn't have a gun or a weapon at home that he could use. I just don't I mean to me, I mean, you slit your wrist or something, but to slit your throat, it's almost like he wanted to make complete, make damn sure he was dead. Slitting his wrist, maybe they could have found him. They could have gotten him to the hospital and he would have had to go through the, being charged and all that. But it does make him look extremely freaking guilty that he killed himself. And then the DNA did leak him. So at this point, it appears this is the end of the investigation when it comes to Faye Swetlick. They say it's an ongoing investigation. I don't know if they're saying this because maybe they are, you know, trying to look at other cases in the Columbia area that maybe he is linked to because as I said, a lot of times this sort of thing isn't just a one-time thing or they, you know, maybe he's done it before. Maybe he's attempted to abduct children before. It's something that maybe we'll get more information on in the coming days or in weeks that, you know, maybe there was more that we didn't know about him as a person. It has been very difficult to find out much about him thus far. It, it seems like he, he just wasn't a very um, present person online other than on like a Reddit group and his Facebook hadn't been updated in several years. So there's not a whole lot of information about him. We do know, you know, where he graduated high school and where he had started college and ultimately stopped, but we don't know much about him personally. So we haven't heard anything from his family speaking out. I'm waiting to see if maybe they talk about it. I'm pretty sure they probably don't want to talk about it, but I just, I, I was hoping for a different outcome. I was hoping that Faye would come home safely and it's heartbreaking that she didn't. It's heartbreaking that a six-year-old girl is gone and this person stole her life and took it out of this world when she could have contributed so much. At this time, I mean, there's nothing else that we know. So all I ask is that, you know, you do extend your thoughts and prayers out to Faye's family. And as shitty as it sounds, I also pray for Cody Scott Taylor's family because they, I mean, they lost a son too, and you know, it's not their fault he did what he did. So just remember them because they're a victim of losing a loved one as well. Doesn't make what he did right. They're, I mean, but they did have a loss as well. Pray for the community because they have been through hell through this entire thing. The children that went to school with Faye that now have to be scared to death every time they go outside. The entire community is going to be mourning this for a long time. So if I do get any more updates, as promised, I will update you guys. Just remember them in your prayers. As I said, thank you so much for listening to Mommy's Crime Time. I hope you have a great night.